The legend goes that it all started on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange on Thursday, February 19th, 2009. There, a financial news commentator named Rick Santelli proclaimed on CNBC that the Obama administration's proposed mortgage assistance plan was promoting bad behavior, rewarding the losers at the expense of people who had played by the rules. Surrounded by cheering commodities traders, Santelli invited like-minded capitalists to join him on the shores of Lake Michigan for a modern-day Boston Tea Party in protest. We're thinking of having a Chicago Tea Party in July, he ventured. Within days, it is said, millions of Americans sprang from their couches and desk chairs to take to the streets, and a movement was born. We the people come to take back America. It would be a wonderful creation story, if only it were that simple. In fact, the first tea party had already taken place three days earlier in Seattle, led by a 29-year-old woman named Kelly Carinder. If a lefty West Coast city was an unlikely cradle for conservative protest, Carinder was an unlikely avatar of a movement that would come to derive most of its support from older white men. Half Mexican, with a pierced nose, she taught basic math to adults on welfare and performed with an improv company on weekends. But Carinder's Tea Party protest, little more than a hundred people, showed almost perfectly in micro how the movement coalesced in its early months, combining resourcefulness and pluck with help from well-connected conservatives who were eager to spread the word. Carinder lived with her fiancé, Connor McNasser, in a neighborhood of Seattle with more ethnic grocers than coffee shops. They decorated their two-room apartment with Christmas lights and a whiteboard that ran almost the length of the living room. On it, they sketched alternate furniture arrangements, mostly aimed at getting the television inherited from a friend out of the middle of the room, and to-do lists that offered the faintest hint of Carinder's politics. To buy, oven bulb, tires... To read, Mockingbird, Atlas shrugged. At once girlish and wonky, Carinder pronounced articles of clothing she coveted cute and began an explanation of her ideas about health care reform with, On the one hand, I'm totally Randian. Her parents, who lived north of the city, were Democrats from Texas and New Mexico, who met working on Capitol Hill in the 1970s. They left the party in the early 1990s because they felt it no longer welcomed those who, like them, opposed abortion. Her father had served in the military and worked as a lawyer before becoming a stay-at-home dad. Her mother was a claims examiner for the Washington State Department of Labor and brought home stories, Carinder recalled, about how the department would go on a spending spree if there was any surplus at the end of the year, just to avoid having its budget scaled back the next year. If that's not incentivizing waste, Carinder said, I don't know what is. Outspoken about her conservatism in high school, Carinder said she was more reserved when she got to Western Washington University, a hippie school, by her definition, where it was assumed that everyone shared the same liberal worldview. It was the first time I thought that what I believed was divisive or different, she said. I was more interested in making friends. She studied math and, after graduation, spent several months-long stints living and waiting tables in Australia, New Zealand, and Ireland. Then she went to Oxford University in England, where she earned a teaching certificate. She liked her job, she said, but it showed her up close how debilitating public assistance can be.
A decade after welfare reform, her students bragged that it wasn't that hard to find ways around the requirement that they look for work. She had started reading more about economics, mostly from the conservative perspective, in National Review and in the writings of the libertarian economist Thomas Sowell at Stanford's Hoover Institution. If I were president, she said, he would be my economic advisor in a heartbeat. In the months before the 2008 elections, she joined Young Republicans, the only place to find conservatives in Seattle, she said, a city she called a mecca of radical liberalism. But like many conservatives, she had lost patience with the party for its role in the expansion of government programs and spending. Some went so far as to say that the Republicans had deserved to lose their congressional majorities in 2006. Wasting time on wedge issues like gay marriage, the party had lost any claim on fiscal responsibility. Conservatives reviled President George W. Bush for expanding Medicare and increasing federal spending. Turning the $236.2 billion budget surplus left him by Bill Clinton in 2001 into a $458.5 billion deficit by 2008 and nearly doubling the national debt to $10.7 trillion. And they distrusted the party's 2008 nominee, John McCain, because he had reached across the aisle on campaign finance reform and on a bill that offered a path to citizenship for illegal immigrants. Carinder, like many conservatives, hadn't thought much of any of the presidential contenders. None of them seemed to understand what conservatives didn't like about Bush, she said, that it was the spending. In the fall of 2008, as the bad mortgages and derivative securities that had presumed an unending rise in housing prices brought the economy tumbling down, the Bush administration responded with the Troubled Asset Relief Program, or TARP, to bail out endangered financial institutions. Then came the first bailout of the auto companies. To Carinder, as for many conservatives, President Bush's explanation was laughable. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system, he told CNN. But she hardly welcomed President Barack Obama with his promises of change. As the new administration began preparing a $787 billion economic stimulus bill in his first weeks in office, Carinder said, I started thinking, what are we getting ourselves into? It didn't make sense to me to be spending all this money when we don't have it. It seems more logical that we create an atmosphere where private industry can start to grow again and create jobs.